0: to Enneagram Map Makers charting the unexplored interior landscape of the ego with Chris Hewitt. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Chris Hewitt once again with Enneagram Map Makers and this is the grand finale, the, the last episode of this first season. Um, a season dedicated to my teachers, my mentors, my guides and, and conversation partners that have pressed me to, to become a better version of myself by, by really watching these folks show how to live with, with humility and, and hope. Learning to, to watch my teachers reconnect with their essence and, and their innocence and, and really having conversations with, with wise elders and guides who still have the sense of, of staying attuned and in touch with their own inner child and, and the most vulnerable aspects of who they are. And so this has been a real honor. This has been a, a real privilege to share this with you. And, and I've so appreciated you journeying with us. On today's episode, we have the super duper honor and, and privilege of, of, of listening to Russ Hudson. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, you know that Russ does not need an introduction, right? He's one of the the, the foremost thought leaders in this space. Back in 1997, his professional partner, the late Don Richard Riso and him, created the Enneagram Institute. And it was really from the Enneagram Institute that that so many of of the authors and, and teachers, trainers and and professionals out there had had studied and, and trained. Don and Rust worked for years to develop the, the Riso Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator, the RETI test. And I know that there is some bit of controversy around the use of tests to find Enneagram types, but man, this is the one that I point everybody to. It's time tested, it's thorough. And, you know, Russ, as somebody dominant in type five, means that you can really count. All the thoughtfulness that he's put into this, as as he's tweaked it and and perfected it, and and really just made it the excellent resource that it is. Now you know this if you've been around the Enneagram long, but the Big Blue Book, the sort of Enneagram Bible, the, the 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 standard text, was was the wisdom of the Enneagram, and that's also co-written by by Russ and and Don, and that was the first book that I ever came across. Now. Let me be be a little honest and a, and a little candid here. When that book first found its way to me, it was actually given to me by my, my first spiritual director, and I flipped through that. This was was almost twenty years ago. I, I flipped through that. And it was a little too interspiritual for me. The, the kind of conservative religious person I was back then wasn't sure how to make sense of this. And so we brought it back to this bookstore downtown in Omaha that we used to call Anything Goes, this kind of interspiritual spot. And I kid you not, within six months, three other people had bought us that same book. We kept taking it back the second time, the third time. I was getting all the store credit down there. And, and finally, the fourth time this book came to me, I realized... I actually need this. I, I think there's something in this that the universe is trying to bend towards me and, and message to me. And and you remember this if you've picked up the wisdom of the Enneagram. The first time you read that, it was like, oh my God, this all makes sense. And here I am. And it just really sort of distilled down so many of these huge ideas into really digestible, really well-organized really, really well sort of designed pages. And, and, and I'm indebted to Russ and, and Don for the work. It was a few years later that I ended up in Arizona. And I've mentioned this, so many of these teachers I, I actually first met in or just outside of Phoenix because the Arizona Enneagram Association has over the years um, facilitated and hosted some of the best events, I, I mean this, in, in the U.S., so they had Russ out there and and I can't remember which one of these trainings it was, but I think it was on the the holy ideas and the virtues and and I sat in the back. I always sit in the back. I gotta have my eyes on the doors. I gotta have my sight lines open. And I sat in the back in this room of of a few hundred people and and Russ just sat up front like a good wisdom teacher sitting in a chair with all of this humility and without notes. I mean, he just started freestyling and freestyling. And then he'd pull out these markers and he'd start to draw these charts and these diagrams and he'd sit back down and just as if he was channeling wisdom from beyond, he he just delivered with such eloquence, brilliance and 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 like I've said with all of these conversation partners this this season, with all of these these teachers this season, it wasn't straight from the brain. It, it wasn't Russ actually trying to be clever. It, it was things that Russ had actually worked on in himself and and through his own personal life. And and that's really what made it stick for me. That's really where I almost felt like I, I had the breath knocked out of me with 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 some of the things that he said and and how he delivered them with such compassion. Now I think you're gonna love this conversation because that's what you can expect from Russ and and that's what comes through here. And there's a few things in this conversation that I, I specifically want to highlight because I think they're really important, and I, and I hope that they're not missed. One of the things that's remarkable about, about Russ is, is that he's a Gurjeev student. He, he does the work. And, and if you know much about the Enneagram, yes, it was who, who who brought this forward, let's say, rediscovered this lost teaching or the fragments of this unknown teaching back in 1917— And Gurdjieff's schools from around the world have actually looked into the Enneagram as a process theory. And and, and in a sense, I would say that looking at this through its sort of mystical lenses and and its sacred geometry and, and all the other things other than personality that can be found in it have more or less kind of dismissed the personality profile or the Enneagram of personality. But Russ is one of these very few bridge builders who actually takes the Gergifian overlays, the, the Gergifian work, and, and brings it into the personality profile or the personality system. And, and I think that's one of the, the things that makes Russ brilliant and, and, and so crucial and, and important to this community. And so with that, I, I turn you over to this conversation with Russ Hudson, and I hope it leads to um, some aha moments. I hope it leads to some, some real soul searching, and I hope it leads to some ongoing inner transformation for all of our collective individual inner work and, and how that helps heal the world. Oh so Russ thanks so much for for being part of this conversation. I uh, have so looked forward to uh, to getting you on the phone for this. Can you um let us know a little bit about where you're at and what you're up to and what's been keeping you busy these days? Well, uh
1: a number of things actually. Um I've been uh, starting to do retreats these days. Um rather than just going around and describing the nine points and the nine kind of psychological profiles, which there's a lot of people uh, who can do that well at this point. Um, I'm trying to create vehicles to take people a little deeper into uh, what inner work is, how the psychological and spiritual comes together, but to not just talk about it, to actually create um, vehicles through which people can explore and look at this stuff through the lens of the Enneagram without necessarily having to sign up for some particular spiritual school for the rest of their life. Um, So I see that as in tandem with some of the other schools and uh, teachings that are out there, but there's just certain things I've picked up along the way that I think might be helpful to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested in supporting the Enneagram Prison Project these days. I've been doing that for a while, where we've gone in and brought this work into jails and penitentiaries. And uh, we've really, I think all of us have been blown away at how uh, powerfully this work can help uh, people in very, very dire situations. Um, if Obviously, if we can reach in and help somebody who's uh, been incarcerated in many cases for life um, and show them there's another path available for them that actually works. I I think that's something. It really speaks to the efficacy of the Enneagram as a a vehicle of of development. Um, I'm working with a lot of different uh, organizations and uh, groups. I think um, I've been doing it long enough that I'm seen in the world as the Enneagram guy or an Enneagram guy. And um, so I think it's interesting when I plug in with other sensibilities or other modalities and see what new things we can come up with. So that's fun for me. Um, And I'm always also looking more and more at the ancient roots of the Enneagram, how it uh, grows out of uh, very old things in Western spirituality. So I think between all of that, it, it, you know, all these things keeps me pretty busy, and not to mention going around doing
0: the the standard workshops and and classes and trying to write from time to time. Yeah, you are uh, one of the hardest working guys in show business. It seems like. <laughs> so I want to um, man, there's so much I want to try to try to pack into this conversation with you, and and I want to kind of get to to where things are at today and where you think things are going in the future. But I Mm -hmm. wonder if you wouldn't mind going back to the beginning and and what that looked like for you. How did you come across this teaching or how did this teaching find you and, and what was that like for you? Well, I think I had a little bit of a different journey
1: than probably some of my peers in that my introduction to the Enneagram had nothing to do with the nine types or the nine points. I learned the Enneagram through the Gurdjieff work. And as some people listening may know, uh, it was Mr. Gurdjieff who brought the Enneagram symbol to the attention of the modern world. And he did so back in the very beginning of the 20th century. So I was just a young guy uh, checking out various uh, modalities of spirituality, both Eastern and Western, and looking for something that clicked for me. And I read um, P.D. Ospensky's book, In Search of the Miraculous, and it blew my mind and uh, really had me uh, go on a search to find uh, some legitimate teachings uh, connected with what he was talking about in that book. And I learned soon that, you know, the Gurdjieff work, the real guys in it, um, and gals, were kind of secretive. <laughs> they mm. weren't advertising. They didn't, they were not uh, putting up uh, any kind of uh, advertisements in the local newspapers or anything. Uh, but through a series of coincidences, I did f- encounter uh, legitimate Gurdjieff work, and I had the good fortune to study under some people who had been doing that a long time, including some people who had worked directly with Mr. Gurjee for many years. Hmm. And so that was uh, kind of my route. Uh, I learned the inner work part before I learned about the typology. I encountered the typology in a book by Charles Tart, uh, which introduced it to many people. Uh, It was called... uh, I believe it was called Transpersonal Psychologies, and there was a chapter in it about the Eureka School and the work of Oscar Ichazo. Uh, and I had heard something about this, but I was you know, pretty invested in doing the Gurdjieff work that I was already involved with. Um, and then a few years later, say 1987, I read Don Richard Riso's first book, Personality Types which was the second book on the topic, uh, the first being uh, The Enneagram by um, Patrick O'Leary and Maria B. Singh and Robert Nagosik, uh, which was more aimed at a particularly Catholic audience. But Don, although uh, he had been a Jesuit, he was seeking to write a more psychological take on The Enneagram and appeal to a broader range of uh, people. And when I read his book, I was really impressed. I I felt Mm -hmm. that what he was describing could be helpful to people doing inner work. So I went back and told my Kherjeev teachers and compadres about it. But to this day, there's a lot of people who know a lot about the psychology or the types, but don't really know the inner work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who know the inner work, but they haven't really learned of the efficacy of the typology, how it can be used for
0: real soul development. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, can, so actually, I wanted to ask you about that, because a lot of the Garjeefians or, or the Garjeef students that I come across mm-hmm. almost kind of dismiss the personality overlay. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you actually bridge that? Like, you you really, really are the only one that I know who has sort of the credibility of bringing these two traditions together? Well, I've had the
1: good fortune when I've taught with Gurdjieffians of having, you know, the, what shall I say, the right credentials. I, I paid my dues. I was doing that work for you know well over a decade, more like uh, 15 years, and worked with some of the luminary teachers of that tradition. So I know the thinking. I know the the way that people map reality within that particular tradition and i think the problem is a lot of the way the enneagram first comes out to people strikes those who've been doing the deeper work as kind of superficial or possibly even distracting or even reinforcing of ego consciousness you know Mm -hmm. and you know we certainly notice that Um, I put it uh, with some students the other day in a way that has comes back to me. Sometimes I say things and then what I've said starts to go around and come back to me. But I was saying, you know, when you're first going to the palace, you, you end up having conversations on the doorstep with other people about what's in the palace. But it's really important at some point to go in the palace. But I think what happens a lot in the Enneagram world is that we get into these engaging conversations uh, about the types and about the the describing them and who's what and who's got what number, but then we don't go from that into the process of how that helps us develop our consciousness. How does that help us, you know, in Christian terms, cooperate with grace? There's... um, There's a big shift where we start to understand the context of learning about the nine types. So when I've taught with the Gurdjieffians, because I know the lingo and because I know what their aim is, I can talk about what the typology is in the context that they understand. And then they see the utility
0: of it. They see how it would help them. And Mm. that's what I always aim for. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I um I've always wondered this, right? Because one of the 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 great sort of quotes from Grajief that gets rolled out is, you know, if you you were left in the desert alone and you sat in the sand and drew the symbol, you could see into it everything that could could be learned and everything that's been taught. And, and I think, of course, personality structure or archetypal sort of ways that individuals present is something that has been taught and can be learned, and still there's this kind of dismiss dismissal of the the personality stuff so appreciate yeah. you you bringing it together i really really think that's one of the the gifts of your contribution yeah
1: i think the personality stuff works best when it sits in the right context
0: hmm.
1: um it, i mean it's going to do some good even without that obviously or people wouldn't bother with it mm-hmm. but i think when people start to learn more of the context of it then um other things start to click um yeah you know, it's been a big journey for me to uh sort of open up for myself and for uh, the people who come to study and work with me, the whole rediscovery of the Western spiritual traditions and what they're really about. Um, hmm. And that becomes a very important part of it. Hmm.
0: So let's, if you don't mind, let's go back a second. You had uh-huh. mentioned your work with, with Don, Don Riso. Yeah. Could you talk about how you two... Met um, and, and and what that was like, and and how you all decided to to collaborate, because it really you two became incredibly fecund in terms of what you produced and 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 what came out of um that that professional partnership. Well, that was um <clears throat> a very kind of magical and seemingly
1: faded (laughs) meeting. Um, Mm. It began with just me acquiring Don's first book, which was Personality Types. And I bought it when it was still new and available in hardcover. And that would have been 1987. And um, at the time, I was already deeply involved in the Gurdjieff work. And so here's this I stumbled into Quest Books, which is long gone, but it was a metaphysical bookstore here in New York. And there was this big new book with an Enneagram on the cover. And I thought, who is this person? What is this? I mean, I I know the Enneagram. What is it? And then, oh, it's this like this Oscar Ichazo thing. It's these nine types. But I thought Don had written about it so beautifully and articulated it so carefully. And the work that he did to sort of align it with psychological thinking um, was important and made a lot of sense to me. And so um, I took my sweet time reading that book. And after I'd had it about a year, I... Thought it might be a good idea to contact him, but I didn't know how. We didn't have the internet in those days. Hmm. Um, So I looked on the last page of the book, actually the inside of the back cover, and in this really teeny tiny print, it said, Don Richard Riso has a consulting company, Enneagram Personality Types, Inc., in New York City. And I thought, well, I live in New York City. Maybe I can find him. So I... um, Contacted directory assistants, Some of you will remember that, and um, asked if they had an Enneagram personality types, and they did. So I called the number, and this basso voice answered, and it was him. And uh, I asked him for a um, if he'd like to get together and talk, and he said, "Well, I only do consultations and things. I don't just hang out." And I said, "Oh, all right. So I'll get do a consultation." Now, there were a lot of weird barriers that I won't go into uh, in in trying to get to meet. I actually ended up having to quit my job to meet Don, (laughs) which was pretty funny. I I kept arranging a time, and then my boss said, no, you can't go. You have to stay here. And there was no cell phone, no way to notify him. So I I couldn't keep operating like that. So I just quit my job and went to meet him. And... um, we had a long conversation it was supposed to be an hour but actually it was more like four hours we met at the american museum of natural history Hmm. which i always find interesting and uh, i knew about this gurjeef angle and he had done all this work on the personality and we thought well let's continue this conversation so i got another job after that one but then when that one (laughs) dried up uh, Don sort of sheepishly called me and said, would you like to come and work as uh, an assistant here with me? And so I did. And um, that evolved into us beginning to work on, uh, you know, writing and teaching and uh, developing the developing the ready test and all kinds of things. Uh, but it was a long conversation. It basically grew because much to his credit, Don Richard Riso understood that he didn't have all the pieces. He understood that he didn't really get this inner work part. He didn't understand the Gurdjieff thing. Mm. And he joined with me and in going to the Gurdjieff work and he apprenticed. I think I'm telling my students all the time, as soon as you think you're the end of the food chain, you're in trouble. Mm. Well, we stop being students. We stop being good teachers.
0: Right. And so
1: he really, you know, he really wanted to learn about it, and I really wanted to learn what he had uncovered, and it was a very rich and
0: enjoyable collaboration for many years. Mm-hmm. And it, and it looked, I mean, from the outside, like uh, amazing that you two just sort of synced up, and 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 your heads and your hearts just produced such lasting and durable ideas. And 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 I hate to say this on on one hand, but it's as if. For the past thirty years or so, a lot of folks out there essentially are, are regurgitating some of that without sort of internalizing it or even moving it forward in, in, in embodiment so it's incredible it's incredible what you started
1: I think that's the that goes back to you know what I was saying about wanting to create retreats and deeper methods for people to learn I think the Intellectual material stands on its own very well. I think uh, it, it's always in some state of evolution, but I think the ideas are solid enough that they've kind of become a coin of the realm in the Enneagram world, whether mm. or not acknowledged. People use our ideas constantly as if it was something always around. And I don't mind. You, you, you come up with ideas because you hope they're correct and you hope that people will use them and get benefit from them. That being said, it's a jump from people understanding intellectually the premises that we were presenting about the types and development and so forth. And it's another thing to put our butt in the fire and start to cook and start to live the implications of it. So my interest has shifted more toward helping people to embody the teachings, to use the expression you used. This grew partially also out of a conversation I had with uh, my friend Susan Alessic, who created the Enneagram Prison Project. It's one thing that somebody can go and talk about the nine types and help people find it and give them a type interview or run a panel or show them a PowerPoint set or whatever you do, right? And it's another thing to have internalized that material in such a way that I can sit down with those incarcerated men and women and hold their soul with this understanding of of some elements that might be healing and helpful for them. That takes a, a longer and deeper journey, and it is the journey the Enneagram is pointing to. But like I said, it's one thing to sort of have a chat on the doorstep, and it's another thing to really get into the living process
0: of what the Enneagram is and how it can affect us. And I appreciate that in, in, in your own life, observing that, that you actually do allow this to, to sort of shape your, your interior sense of self, your spirituality that, that you actually have modeled for me, like an ongoing sort of curiosity and, in, in, in a lifelong student and learner. So thanks for that. Um, well, thank you. I'm wondering, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but as, as 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 cohesive as you and Don's work seemed to to, to to present was there ever anything that the two of you really fundamentally disagreed on? Oh yeah, here and there
1: and usually one of us convinced the other. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing that stayed a huge disagreement. For example, in the early days, I thought there was something to the idea of the instincts or the subtypes, and Don didn't. He thought it was just a misunderstanding of the levels and the wings and other factors. Uh, But I thought there was something to it, and I pursued it. But I, I convinced him that that was worth studying and that it was an important piece to the puzzle. And there were things he convinced me about as well. So, you know, I think... As we're learning about this stuff, as soon as it becomes something frozen and fixed, well, then it's fixed. It's like fixation. It's it's not what we're trying to do. I was saying to some people the other day that, you know, the idea here isn't to cram ourselves into these definitions and categories. It's there they're all all this knowledge and information is meant to be a launching pad, a springboard into an exploration of what's actually going on in us. And I don't think that's an exhaustible journey. As good as our theories may be, they ought to launch us onto more interesting questions and more mm-hmm. interesting realizations. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great so alright so this is amazing I, I love this I love I love everything that you've shared so far so you you came out of this Gurdjieffian inner work tradition you, you meet yeah. Don who's put together or let's say curated these these descriptions of, of archetypes with kind of a, a psychological rendering or, or bend to this how did you actually come to terms with your type what was what was that like for you well, I'm happy
1: to report that I mistyped myself, hmm. and I like to I like to tell people that because there's no shame in it. I mean, yeah. there's so many. I, I would estimate when I think of all the people who go up and tell me what their enneagram point is, I I would suspect that a very large percentage of people haven't quite landed on their core point yet. But that's okay; it's part of the journey. Um, hmm. In my own case, I read Don's first book, and I came to the conclusion, as uh, about 70% of North Americans do, that I was a four. Uh, And again, based on a very loose definition, well, gosh, I had difficulties in my childhood, and I felt people did not understand me, and I felt I had deep feelings, although people didn't always know that, and I felt like I, I was into creativity, and et cetera, et cetera. But When I looked at the overall way he described four, there were things that fit and things that didn't. Hmm. And Don himself said, well, you know, I don't think you're a four, but I'm not sure what you are. (laughs) And so I said, okay, well, I was open to it. But if you'd gone to the first few workshops and trainings that we taught, I I self-typed as a four. Gradually, I came to the idea that there was there were some differences. And I was certainly different than Don, who who was indeed a four. Um, I came to see that probably I was a five. I thought I was a four with a five wing, but maybe I was a five with a four wing. And mm-hmm. what clinched it for me was the, the inner lines. Now, I know some people say the inner lines don't really work. I I'm amazed that they can make the Enneagram helpful for people without that. But I, uh, in, in my experience, I could see very explicitly that under stress, I went to seven, not to two. Hmm. That there were times where I got um, kind of spun out in a seven-ish way. And at the same time, I could also see that I could express some of the shadow issues of the eight and be kind of bossy. <laughs> mm. and and get my way through things. But the other side of it was also that I really needed the empowerment and the the practicality and the groundedness of the eight very much, much more than I needed the discipline of the one. I was already pretty disciplined, but this eight energy seemed important. So when I looked at the whole thing as a growth path, not just a collection of descriptions, then the whole five thing fell into place, and it's been useful
0: ever since. Mm. Yeah, it's that's it's so it's so funny to to hear these stories about how how different ones of us sort of come to terms with type or how type finds us and then and then how we relate to it. Can you talk a little bit about you know understanding this 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 gift or this prison, depending on how you see it, of type five? How mm-hmm. that sort of supported your own. Soul work or spiritual work, or then bringing that into the Gurdjieffian inner work.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, one thing was it helped me see. This is oh, uh, this is going to be a little controversial. Uh, it helped me see why the Gurdjieff work was really a good path for me. Hmm. Because the Gurdjieff work was zero about talking about ideas, zero about you know thinking about psychological issues. It was all about embodiment, developing will, doing practice, keeping your presence going while you're doing hard physical work, things like that. I actually needed that. It terrified me as a five, but it's what I needed. I think that it gave me a focus for my inner work. I started to see that my gift was the ability to transmit certain qualities of understanding with clarity and some accuracy and in a way that people felt they could receive it, they could understand it. I think this was first... um, noticed and presented to me by uh, one of my mentors in music who was a guitar player named Robert Fripp, who had been uh, in the Gurdjieff work and had a rock band named King Crimson. He played guitar with David Bowie, all kind of things. But he he really is a person dedicated to the inner work, and he just noticed that I was better at that than as a guitar mm. player, which was a, a difficult pill for me to swallow, but an important one. But I also came to understand, and this is where I think the Enneagram gets useful, I came to understand that my capacity to be that portal of clarity and illumination and help people see deeper truths depended on my embodiment and on my heartful contact with Mm -hmm. myself and with others, Mm -hmm. and that when I just jump back into the five trance, I'm just regurgitating stuff I memorized, and it's not the same effect. It's not the gift that I have to offer. It's like an ersatz gift. It's a substitute. And so without condemning myself for seeing that my personality did that, it, it started to focus my work on sustaining a certain quality of contact with myself, with my environment, and with the people I'm with, and that through that, my soul would develop, balance, and bring forth more of what I actually,
0: uh, by grace, could bring to people. Hmm. And and I think that's actually, and and I think of you, actually, when I think of this, when I see this in you and when I hear you reflecting on this, I I think it's so hopeful for all of us. Now, I I think it's hopeful for fives who sometimes get misunderstood or sort of put in the corner as not heart-connected. But it's really an invitation for all of us to to bring that grace inward and and to live it and to live into the responsibility of it. And so that's I love it. I love seeing that in you, and I love seeing that continue to bear fruit in in your life and your teaching, and and even in the impact that you make on, on on the friendships that you have. So let me ask you this: So you fast forward twenty or, or thirty years later, after after learning this, after starting your work, what Don? Man, it seems like the enneagram is showing up everywhere now Mm -hmm. it feels like in the sort of memes and mugs thinning out of it people are getting more and more excited about that and and there's something i i think kind of ironic about it why do you think it's so popular today why do you think it's showing up everywhere now
1: i think in different areas for some slightly different reasons but there's a lot of overlap i think people want to understand themselves first and foremost and it really offers something that a lot of the other psychological maps and presentations don't do it it potentially takes us deeper it it's people resonate with the descriptions they they feel something about them and i think that's important i think people also recognize that the enneagram is inviting us to a kind of deeper layer of our humanity where we actually meet in a more real way and that we need that now in the world where we're facing a lot of big problems and you don't have to be a psychic to figure that out Um, and we kind of know that as we are as we've been we aren't going to access the necessary ingredients let's say but when we are in this shared work of development and particularly development in community uh, other things become possible. So I think that's one thing. So as I encounter people, I'm seeing more and more people who recognize how this might help in the workplace. I'm meeting people who understand it. it's really going to help them with their families and their life partner and their kids. And, of of course, there's been a huge um, development in the religious communities. I'm particularly aware how it's uh, growing like... Uh, like wildfire in uh, the Christian communities here in North America, but it's starting to really percolate around uh, Muslim communities in the Middle East as well. So that's really intriguing. And, you know, some of my colleagues say, well, you know, are you going to be able to work with these uh, young uh, Christian people coming in? And I say, I certainly hope so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it seems pretty important, and and that's part of my own spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Kuchiev said the work existed so that we would be able to live the commandments of Christ, mm-hmm. and by that he meant, of course, to love God above all things and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And his his offering to the world was our personality can do neither. It can kind of look like it, it can act like it, but that there's a a real soul transformation that the Christian path asks of us. And I think a lot of young Christians are recognizing the call of that that deeper invitation. They really want to walk the talk and they're aware that some of the frameworks are fine and some of them maybe not. But where they want to meet is in this deeper soul conversation and this deeper soul transformation. And I think the Enneagram and the inner work surrounding it is just a means to an end for us to find that deeper soul connection. So I think this being such a strange and Dislocating time for so many people, it it makes sense that this this deep need in human beings would start to come more to the fore.
0: You know? Enneagram map makers will continue in a moment.
1: In Chris's book, The Enneagram of Belonging, you'll discover that knowing ourselves doesn't necessarily mean we accept ourselves. Most of us tend to curate the personality of our type, leading with the traits we perceive as positive and sidelining the traits that cause us shame. But what if it all belonged? Rather than furthering our own fragmentation, what if we dared to make peace with the whole of who we are with bold compassion? The Enneagram of Belonging is your guide to this essential journey. Get your copy today, wherever books are sold.
0: So then with this sort of permeating so many sort of spaces or so many domains of social practice, like what do you think folks are are misunderstanding or, or what do you think? People are getting wrong as this kind of gets further and further out.
1: Well, I think they're just thinking it's just personality.
0: <laughs> That's one thing.
1: Mm. They they're just looking at mm. the level of a description of traits, which you know is a start. Um, and I'm not going to knock that because we got to start somewhere. Um, but I think that it's meant to awaken something deeper in us. It's meant to to stir uh, a soul realization. Um, It's meant to bring us to, well, as our friend Richard Rohr says, uh, to a sense of conversion. And that comes partially from seeing what we're trapped in. Hmm. I think when we're working with this kind of material, it doesn't help if we're uh, rubbing our nose, (laughs) our noses, or rubbing other people's noses even worse in, in shortcomings. Here's what's wrong with you. I don't think people really benefit from that kind of teaching. But on the other hand, it doesn't help to just coddle our narcissism. In Mm -hmm. many cases, we end up then identifying types that aren't our core type just because they fit a way we want to see ourselves, whether Mm -hmm. we're actually like that or not. But if we're only looking at the level of personality and traits, we're not going to have the necessary ingredients to see how that information can be used for some real soul development. So I think that you need both. <laughs> I used to say you need a flower and a sword. You need mm. the flower of kindness, a lot more kindness than we bargain for as we start to really look at what's running mm. our lives. And we need the sword of cutting through our BS. Mm. We need to really recognize that It's normal for humans to delude themselves, to fool themselves, and that includes me. And so I have to have a kind of razor-sharp capacity to keep seeing all the brilliant ways I fool myself, trap myself, limit the realization of my soul. And the journey toward that uh, real transformation is a kind of meeting of that seeing the truth and that holding kindness which is what I'm always trying to bring into the mix. I think without those ingredients, there's just a limit to
0: what you can get from yakking about the types. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you drawing attention to the, the role of community and, and let's say our ongoing transformation, um, the the deliberateness and the honesty with, with holding ourselves with compassion and and then yeah, that that constant returning to, to a center. Um so that leads me to, to another question, and this is actually a question I get a lot from a lot hmm. of people, and in particular, a lot of young people, which is, how do I certify or where do I train or what do I need to do so that I can can use this, this teaching professionally? And I actually don't think I told you this. I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed to confess it to you, mm-hmm. but um, years and years ago, I uh, I jumped on on the Enneagram Institute's website to look at your your certification program. And um, I saw that you were going to be teaching in, in Japan and I was actually headed to Southeast Asia um, and had to stop through through Tokyo to get there. So I called your office up and I was just like, hey, I want to get certified and and I think I can do it and in 10 months. And I'm looking at your schedule and I'm pretty sure I could tuck all these things in. What do you think? And this sweet woman on the other side of the phone, I'm sure wow. she'd heard this a hundred times and I'm sure <laughs> she did. was just pinching her the bridge of her nose and rolling her eyes at me, just really gently kind of, Deflated the balloon of my own sense of how important I was going to be by, by, by taking all these classes. Like, what do you, what do you say to people now when they're, what do I do to get certified, or how important is, yeah, is, is training in this? Because it seems like everybody out there does want to somehow commodify this or, 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 or brand themselves or their work by this. Sure. And the, the, our culture suffers from what I call the
1: instant expert syndrome. Hmm. You know, somebody asked me, how did you become such a good teacher? I said, 25 years of my butt in the fire. Hmm. I said, if I had gone out and presumed to be a master teacher in the first few weeks, I'd learned this like a lot of people do. God only knows what would have happened. So yeah. I tell people a few things. One. It is good to study with people who have experience. Uh, And there are a number of reputable teachers, schools, people around now who really do know something about the inner sense of the Enneagram, who know the types very, very well, but also know the kind of spirit of what we're working with. And there are differences and there are different emphases and there's different gifts that different schools or teachers bring. That being said, we can definitely give you some kind of basic training, so you know enough not to be a danger. (laughs) You can can, uh, present this in a meaningful way. Uh, That being said, the journey from that to real mastery is going to take time. I used to say, think of it like becoming a brain surgeon. You know, yeah, you could sit down and watch a, a surgeon perform an operation, but that doesn't mean you could turn around and do one. And right. in a sense, we are operating on people's souls when we're helping them on this level. So our our quick draw McGraw ambition and sometimes narcissism and wanting to appear like master coaches and master this and that is really a barrier to becoming good. Hmm. Um, I think that you, I do recommend people going to study with the school or come to retreats or at the very minimum, just go to workshops. There are some reasonably good uh, programs on the internet too at this stage in case you can't travel to a place where uh, these classes are being offered. It's always cool and probably better to be in a room where people are doing work together, but if it's not possible, at least get some... Um, experience and some um, conversation going through uh, internet and that being said uh, check the credentials of the people that you're learning from yeah. uh, a lot of them might be popular there's there's some people out there who have a lot of followers but they don't have a lot of experience and that's not just a fact that's given by their lack of training it's a fact given by their mm, Unattuned advice. Hmm. So uh, I just say caveat emptor. Uh, The people who've been around a while um, are generally speaking pretty good at what they do. And you can, uh, I would also say to people when you're looking to study, look at the people who are teaching you and whether they're embodying what they're talking about. And whether you sense you would like to acquire some of the qualities of that person. There are a lot of people I've encountered who are teaching this,
0: that or the other thing, but if I thought of being more like them i'd i definitely say no <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that's I think that's fair actually, I think that's important you know when i um when I first came across this it's like and, and and i and again, I almost hate to admit this it was all about me, and it was and it should be of course at the beginning Yeah, has to it be. has to be internalized it has to be metabolized, but then suddenly, I figured out or I thought I had figured out my type structure and then I almost weaponized this and sort of like became a little love type sniper of everybody in my community and of course now I look back on that as a as a kind of violence against what's sacred in in every individual but um I think it was the the so-called childhood wounds that that wrecked me and I think it was the so-called childhood wounds that helped me realize like when you start to press on the stress fracture of your own soul you need a real kind of delicacy and a real kind of maturity and, and you need that time to really see what's unhealed and and yes. and, and what still needs and I, and I hate to say this, but maybe in this notion of like a healing crisis, what still needs to be wounded and yeah. um, so I used to kind of kind of joke around like yeah sometimes pastoral counseling might get the job done, but sometimes you need a psychotherapist. Yeah, and I feel like with the enneagram, <laughs> you really do need that trained individual who has has done their own work. And I say this: you you can only take somebody as far as you've gone yourself. Yes, and so you're right. Like in this kind of chop, chop, let's get to it. Like I I need to be the expert, and I need to be able to teach this to my congregation next week. And it's um, it's kind of wild to watch it. Yeah, it, and it can be hazardous
1: uh, for ourselves and others yeah. to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I ju- it's just it just takes time, and it takes, and we, ca- as you just said, we can't teach people beyond the journey we've been on, and yet, and we may have had really cool spiritual experiences, and that doesn't mean we've necessarily integrated them all in mm-hmm. a way that we can live them, yeah. uh, th- and that's really the test. The engram is really more about that. It's not really aiming at you know providing spiritual revelation that comes as it does. But I think it's more about teaching us how to live the truth that we've come to understand.
0: Yeah. And that just doesn't happen quickly. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say this personally, what I've appreciated about this teaching is that it, it points me to my better self. It reminds me maybe what my my soul's purposed reason for existing is, and, and perhaps how I've forgotten that. But it's also given me, I think, the permission to to press into the worst parts of myself and, and to actually find ways of, of letting that also belong. And, uh, yes, there's nothing sexy about that actually. Like that's not the (laughs) stuff that's going to hit the memes. And that's not the, the stuff that people are, are sort of hustling on their, on their Twitter feeds. So it's been, it's been real sweet and it's been real tender and, and really in a large part to your teaching and, and and your guidance. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's just, um,
1: I think if I were to talk about my own journey, I would have thought when I was a young whippersnapper that I was going to get more, you know, enlightened and be sort of like in some kind of incandescent light bulb of a human Mm. and i was going to be hanging out in some higher state and radiating people with the juju or something and it's really so not like that Mm. (laughs) it's so not like that uh you know i i think i go back to a wonderful evening I had with uh, Father Rohr. We were at his home, and we were just sitting, enjoying a little glass of wine and talking about all of these things, what we'd really learned on the journey. And he said that, what I've learned is the glory of God is found in the ragged mess of our human experience. Hmm. And I clinked his glass I couldn't agree more hmm. the the more i i do the inner work the more i'm landed in it it brings me closer to people not because i'm here to fix everything for them but because i know what they're experiencing from the inside out yeah and, and that's a very different
0: journey than you know <laughs> the McDonald's version of enlightenment yeah well i appreciate that so let me let me ask you this as you bring the Enneagram into how you nurture and nourish your own spirituality, what has surprised you uh, about this tool as a, as a support to that? Mm.
1: Well, you know, one of the big things that's um, popular conversation these days is this idea of spiritual bypass. And in mm. a sense, you and I have been talking about that. And uh, it One of my uh, mentors, uh, a man named uh, Hamid Ali, is known by the pen name A.H. Almas, said, Transcendence is repression. And uh, I thought that was a little strong statement, but I've come to see what he meant. And um, I think that uh, the Enneagram is, one, teaching me to celebrate the gift I've been given Two, to be aware of how I squander that gift in endless ways, and that uh, can be tough sometimes to see. And three, that I don't really accomplish much if I'm not working in tandem with others for the Mutual blossoming of our gifts. Um, mm. See, as of Enneagram 5, I thought I could do this all by myself. Oops, no, you can't. Uh, that was a little bit of uh, bad news for me early on, but now I think it's amazing and wonderful. Um, the whole sense of the Enneagram being a place where the different ingredients come together in some meaningful way, uh, making a whole that's bigger than the sum of the parts, as, as we often say. Um I also think just speaking about you know spiritual traditions I had spent a lot of time learning uh about some of the eastern traditions and not everything equally but I studied a lot of the teachers and writings and actually read some of these things and I actually got a degree at uh Columbia University in Buddhist studies i was studying east asian studies and focusing on japanese buddhism particularly so i learned the whole buddhist perspective of things very well and um, was kind of hanging out in that and but between the gurdjieff work and the enneagram it kept pulling me back to looking at the western perspective and what i would say is different about that was that in the western perspective it's more explicit that the world matters uh-huh. Um uh that we're here to help something here on the earth as you know in in Judaism we talk about this in Islam we talk about this and Christians every time we say the Lord's prayer we're asking for this so my sense became less about me having some kind of groovy inner state of higher consciousness or revelation and more about how that translated into what I was doing to support the life of other human beings and just life in general here on this mm.
0: planet. It's beautiful. And it's um one of the real unique contributions or or, or maybe I could could say it like this like one of the real gifts of what you've even brought to this larger conversation is your ability to weave these kind of interspiritual and, and still resonant sort of teachings together and then yeah. help us see it through the lens of, of the Enneagram.
1: So. Yeah. I think that the Enneagram is a great way to do that, actually. Because I'm forever telling people that you don't have to sell the Enneagram. <laughs> if yeah. you're talking about it honestly, it's pointing people toward human experience. And people know human experience. and. We've all experienced these more amazing states of consciousness. We just don't have a context for talking about them or know how they fit into the rest of our lives. And I think the Enneagram is a marvelous way to make those experiences more relevant to how we are living our lives and how they connect us to what we're really after, yeah. uh, given all the forces that are out there trying to get us to pay attention to
0: other things. Yeah. So then, maybe that can lead lead into this little conversation um, because I imagine you're finding and rooting and, and mapping a lot of this to to the work that you you do in Egypt. And I love to to follow you on social media, especially when you're traveling in that part of the world. But can you talk about what's what's what what keeps bringing you back there and and what you sort of continue to to sort of uncover on on those trips and and your studies in in that in that space? Sure. Uh, well, I think for
1: a lot of reasons that would take me a long time to explain, Egypt gets a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, it's, uh, when some of the texts of, in the Jewish scriptures were written, they were written at a time where there was particularly bad relationship between Egypt and Judea. And, um, there so some things sorta of got revised and rewritten at that time and I don't wanna go into all the history of that. Uh similarly, I think when Europeans were trying to piece together the beginnings of Western civilization, they looked to the Greeks as the cradle of of Western thinking and philosophy and spirituality and so forth. But in fact, the Greeks tell us in so many places that they learned everything from the Egyptians. And if you consider that Egypt was already thousands of years old when Athens was rising, you start to get the idea. Egypt was old when Buddha was born. Um, I tell people the pyramids were uh, older to Jesus than Jesus is to us. So we don't really get the scale of time. And during that long period of time, people worked out a lot of science. They worked out a lot of technology. They worked out medical things. But they also worked out a lot of things about the human soul. They worked out about what really helped People develop and what didn't. And so I don't think it's easy to convince people of these things. But when you see these things yourself, when you touch them, when you're there in Egypt and you're seeing these things, you really start to understand, oh my gosh, I have not been presented a very accurate picture about the dawn of, of Western civilization, which really is in this culture. I used to say Egypt is the India of the West. Hmm. As in all the major spiritual traditions in the East, more or less, grew out of the Indian philosophies, in the same way, Egypt precedes all the other religions. And, you know, it's it's kind of a controversial thing to say, but the facts are the facts. There are antecedents to Jewish and Christian and Islamic spirituality in Egypt. And why would people reinvent the wheel, you know, when there were already some good ideas floating around? Uh, I think people back then were, who were smart, well-educated, found a way to recontextualize some of these ancient theological and metaphysical ideas in the context of these newer religions. So I like people to see the more of the unity and continuity of some of our Western spiritual traditions and to see just how far back these ideas go is very humbling and kind of amazing yeah. um, I think uh, it, and again when you
0: see or experience that firsthand it's a very different thing than somebody just telling you about it so then given that and and let's say the the, the durability of, of, of the contributions, from um the ancient Egyptian civilizations. Do you do you find the Enneagram was was ever present in that or, or tucked into that, or at least mm-hmm. implicitly sort of written into some of it? Well, you won't find the Enneagram symbol as
1: such, uh, which I'm would suggest is more Greek in its origin. And Oscar Chazzo called the Enneagram the ninth Pythagorean seal, and it makes sense that it would be related to Pythagoras and the geometric explorations of the Pythagoreans and number theory and so forth. But Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans were quite um, quick to remind us that they learned about this stuff from the Egyptians. And so you find, prior to Pythagoras, this idea of number theory and sacred geometry and all these um underpinnings of the spirituality there in Egypt did they write it down in in a in the way that we would know but it's there in their architecture they built their buildings to reflect it it's in the pictorial representations they put on the walls it was a different language a different way of thinking about things but i think the anagram part the idea that uh is central to the Enneagram, if you know the deeper background, uh, is that the Enneagram teaches us to think triadically in threes. Mm. And uh, my my friend, uh, and the, I'm pretty sure you know her too, Cynthia Bourgeau, wrote a whole book about this, mm. about this law of three, and how you know, it, why it was so important for the Christians to work out the correct trinity was because in the ancient world, they saw... Everything that was multiple as coming out in patterns of three. So this is just part of the way the Egyptians looked at things. So the whole metaphysic, the whole way of looking at reality was there as part of their view of things. And as I said, takes expression in, uh, Christianity as the Holy Trinity. The, um, the other thing here is that Egyptians thought that three threes, nine was a complete set that when you looked at things in sets of nine, it would reveal all kinds of interesting things. It was also um, my dear friend who passed away last year, John Anthony West, uh, pointed out some parallels between what was called the Ennead of creation, the nine principles of creation that came from a very ancient uh, temple in Egypt at Heliopolis, and how these correspond quite closely to the sense of the Enneagram types, not as psychological patterns, but as the kind of quality of consciousness that they represent at the deepest level. The whole idea of soul building, the whole idea of the centers, the whole idea of the alignment of centers, the whole idea that we're here in this world to develop a vehicle (laughs) to be able to help and be part of a bigger story beyond this life. These were all ideas that were just the common way of looking at things in Egypt. And I think they're the backbone and a big part of many of the ideas that inform the Enneagram, certainly from its spiritual roots. I would add that it was, uh, without getting into too much geeky detail here, when the basis of the nine passions was developed, it was developed by the desert fathers and desert mothers who were Christian monastics living in Egypt. And they were doing their best to create all the roots of what are now the Christian mystical journey, the monastic version of Christianity. But they were Egyptian and they were informed by those ways of thinking. So they were looking at the, uh, the these cores of the type were not descriptions of people, but they were seen as distractions from presence, and from from our attention on the presence of the divine. Mm. And these made their way. Uh, they were written down by uh, a man named Evagrius. He taught a young man named John Cassian. John Cassian brought these ideas to France. One of the people that learned from John Cassian was Saint Benedict and St. Benedict, who created the Benedictine order and the Benedictine rule and essentially established monasticism in Europe, went and brought these ideas to Gregory I, Gregory the Great, who commented about these nine uh, passions or sins, and by the way, he named eight, not seven, although we talk about the seven deadly sins, Um, Gregory mentioned eight of them, and he. he even said there was a sequence to them that follows in a way that I'm not going to
0: go into now, but it's highly suggestive of the triads of the Enneagram. Oh, it's amazing. So then, Russ, with all of that and and your ability to sort of stitch everything together and, and find the connections, when you look back on all of this, what do you see or what do you perceive is on the frontier or the horizon or or what do you see as you look forward now with um, where the Enneagram is going and and what we're going to be able to sort of see into it or what will come out of it? Well, when I look at uh, the future, I, I and of course, I'm going
1: to probably l- want to look at the things that I like <laughs> or that I wish for. Uh, there's a lot of things that'll probably happen with it that wouldn't be my favorite, but I don't want to dwell on that. I would say that uh, a couple of things. One, I think it's going to help a lot of people recover a deeper sense of Western spirituality, as I've been saying. Um, I think it's going to help Deepen what's possible through spiritual community. I think that we're coming to a time where it's not weird for people to know about these numbers and what they represent, but that hopefully there will be at least a, a A certain percentage of the people learn about it who take the deeper dive and are able to be responsible in uh, explaining those things to the people who want to hear about it. I think it's probably going to make its way more into the workplace in various ways, I hope in responsible ways. Um, I also think that as more people know about the history of it, it's part of a kind of opening up of mm, a reconsideration of the roots of our civilization. And I think that's important because if you don't know where you come from, it's very hard to map where you want to go. Hmm. If uh, you say, I want to go to Rome, but uh, and then I ask you, where are you or where are you coming from? And you can't answer that question. I can't really help you get where you want to go. So I think the more as humanity reveals its roots, as we start to understand these... In more early stages of human development, the Enneagram is going to help us see things, assumptions we've made about all that. I think that uh, it's going to help us get some different ideas about what we might do now in terms of how we organize our society, what what we need to do differently as we face a lot of the big challenges that are most certainly upon us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, and that's the hope, right? So thanks, yeah, and but. the the only other thing, and this would be more uh, the work that my uh, colleague Don, David Daniels was doing before his passing uh, was uh, the the brain science. I think we're going to start to see more and more that there are biological components to this. It's not just some will of the wisp that someone made up, that yeah.
0: there really is something to how we're wired into certain kinds of temperament. Because to a large extent, personality is the product of brain chemistry, right? Yeah, it's it's a product of many things. I think most, um, most people nowadays
1: would tell you, uh, is our personality from nature or nurture? And the correct answer is yes. <laughs> it's both. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, there's a loop there. Um, the events of life can affect our brain chemistry, and our brain chemistry affects how we meet the events of life. So it's kind of a feedback system. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, the Enneagram is helpful in just opening up how we think about things like that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, this is... You're brilliant. This is great. I I love. I just love listening to you freestyle on anything. Um, maybe to just make this really human, and this doesn't even have to be anything esoteric. But um, what are you what are you doing for yourself these days that that just makes you smile? What what's what's bringing happiness into your life? Well, that's a really interesting uh,
1: question. I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. Um, I had a health scare. Uh, A couple of months ago, and many people sent me beautiful, you know, well wishes. I had a a heart event while I was in Paris, and uh, my wonderful doctors and nurses there took great care of me, and I'm doing okay. But, you know, you start to notice what matters to you after you have such an experience. And um, I would say that, and and it's sort of corny, (laughs) my answer but more and more my happiness is other people's Mm. happiness more and more as i see like a sweet young couple that really loves each other or a dad being really great with his daughter or i see uh or in any small way i can contribute to that but i don't even have to contribute it when i see human beings behaving like true human beings that makes me happier than just about Mm. anything when I see people being good to animals, you know I, that just makes mm. me happy, and um, I like that because it doesn't cost yeah. anything. <laughs> it's, it's always available. It doesn't require
0: any uh, anything extra. Minutes. Mm. I love it. I love that. So, Russ, with with everything that's distracting us, can can you talk to us about presence? I think what's often not understood
1: about the enneagram is that it's really a tool for the cultivation of presence. Hmm. Now, it's one thing to have that word, and it's a nice-sounding word, but it's a long journey to really understand what that means. And uh, it can be approached from a lot of angles, but there's a difference between just being our personality and being present with our personality, in which case we're aware of it. We're seeing what we're up to. We're not swept away by our, Conditioning, you might say. Um, also, I th- I think all genuine spirituality is, in some sense, dependent upon the cultivation of presence. All monastic traditions and meditation and prayer techniques are, in some sense, methods of developing presence. And the idea is to have presence with our personality, not to transcend the personality as if you could, but to bring compassionate presence to our personality is really the trick. And, um, you know, I I remember talking with some folks in a religious community years ago, and they were saying, well, that all sounds good, but what does that have to do with God? And my kind of smart-alecky answer, although true answer from my POV, was... Well, whose presence do you suppose it is? Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one, which is very obvious when you're experiencing presence. But I, I just say that um, the Enneagram was originally explicitly a tool to help us see how we lost our sense of presence and how
0: to get back to it. And when we use it that way, I think it does us a world Yeah, of and And there's not a, a, a better... There is no better time now, and and I don't mean the present moment, but in general, there is no better time now in 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 a culture where we have completely lost our minds to return to the present. Yeah. And so, what a what a great teaching! Yeah. that. oh yeah, it's it's with all uh, is bombarded as we
1: are now with constant streams of information and visual stimulation, auditory stimulation, it becomes more important than ever. I mean, I don't think we can assimilate all that stuff if we don't have some kind of grounding in the moment. Um, and even if it's good information, we won't know what to do with it until there's something about presence that integrates our experience and our intelligence. And as you said, very
0: important yeah. now. Now, Russ, one do you mind one one last question? I think I uh Sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay. We're here. So I have heard you (laughs) you say this several times that that we have a type, but we're not our type. Am I I getting that right? Can you can you break that down a little bit for for us?
1: Yeah. I, I think that well, let me put it another way. My experience working with Myself, But working with many, many, many people over a very long period of time is that what we are is something mysterious, something that you can't exactly nail down or define completely. Uh, We have characteristics, but those characteristics aren't what we are. Uh, the subject of our experience the i that we say i to all the time is something way more interesting than a personality type so it is true that we have certain tendencies we have certain vulnerabilities certain strengths there's certain ways we deal with our issues i think of our uh, our enneagram type as our coping system how we uh, what, what we do to put our best foot forward, what we avoid, what we seek out, how we manage our emotions or how we deal with whatever traumas we're carrying. All of that is part of this system. And as such, it works fine. But it, when we're identified completely with the operation of that system, we don't grow beyond it. So I'm always (laughs) finding myself uh, between people say that, well, we're all beyond type and type doesn't matter. Well, no, it does matter because if you're not seeing your type, you're not Hmm. beyond it. If you can't see what you're up to, if you can't see the agenda that you're pushing, you're definitely not beyond your agenda. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, then we, so, and then we don't, and, but and then we the don't other, have an honest relationship with our type.
1: Right, right. We're not seeing what's valuable in that yes. information. But on the other hand, just reducing everybody to type and, and the sort of shorthand, he's a four and she's a seven and blah, blah, blah. It, it does It is reductionistic in a way that's maybe not yeah. so good. Uh, people aren't types. And there's many elements to people that aren't really about their Enneagram yeah. type. So, you know, I always say if you recognize your type, it's a way of getting in touch with
0: a deeper sense of what what, and who yes. you really are. Yes, that's, that's really helpful. Thank you. Well, man, Russ, I, I'm super duper grateful for you. I, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for your time. I'm thankful for, for, for the gift of the impact that your life, your, your teaching, your friendships made on me. And um, I'm glad that you're feeling better. We we need you to be around for as long as, as you can can handle us. <laughs> so uh, appreciate you. Appreciate everything you've shared. And um, man, just thanks. Thank you, Russ, for, for being just perfectly who you are. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. And may there be more of you. Yeah, Let's hope. Man, Russ is just always right on point if you want to keep up with with Russ Hudson and the important work that he's doing of course go to his website russhudson.com and there you can learn more about his contributions to the larger community and this tradition Russ is also active on social media and that's one of the other things I love about this guy and so you can chase him down on Twitter at russ underscore hudson 54 and Russ is even out there on Instagram so get at that He's there under um, Hudson underscore Russ, and of course, if you don't have any of Russ's five best-selling books, you need to to hit pause right now on this podcast, um, get online and, and order those with next-day shipping. Um, the wisdom of the Enneagram and and really personality types not only are our groundbreaking contributions to the field of Enneagram studies, but but really just. The the staple, the standard, everything sort of stands on the shoulders of of those two volumes. And so make sure that you have those and that you've read those. And if you do have those and have already read those, make sure you pick that up and and reread those because those are excellent resources. So thank you, everybody, for for, for tuning in to this episode. But really, thank you so much for being part of this first season of Enneagram Makers, this launch season. Thanks for, for, for being one of our sort of distant digital conversation partners. Hopefully, having introduced you to my teachers, it inspires you to, to find teachers of your own, to find guides and mentors to help you incorporate some of the things that, that you're learning about yourself through the Enneagram and, and how that can allow you to remember your essence, to reconnect with what's true and, and beautiful about you, what's always been true and beautiful about you. This is Chris Huertz signing off of this first season's last episode of Enneagram Map Makers. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Enneagram Map Makers. Special thanks to Ryan O'Neill for the gorgeous, as always, Sleeping At Last music and the gifted and talented genius that is Corey Pig for producing the show. And lastly, the sweet voice you hear helping at the beginning of the show is my dear friend Edith Moore all the way from Christchurch, New Zealand.